and Lexi, how do you pronounce your last name? Gordon. Gordon. It's not. It looks really fancy. It looks fancy. But it's There's just a cool. story behind it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you want to explain that story? Yeah. So my mom studied numerology. Um, so, which is the study of numbers and fates and letters and the correlation of mm. everything and how it all comes together in the world. So her name was Michelle. Now it's Shelley. And she's also got three E's and I have three E's. So it equals the number of like karma and all these things and what you should expect out of your life and your personality. So she added a U in our last name after marrying my dad and changed his name from Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, and then to G-A-V-E-J-N. Silent J, Gavagin, <laughs> oh if God. you will. Um, yeah, so that's that's that. And then they divorced and he kept it. So she says he liked it. But I <laughs> <laughs> think the paperwork was too much to change it back. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting time to get married and just like, oh, my partner changed my name. Yeah. And and I've stuck with it and it's, yeah. it's, the paperwork's this thick. Like, I'm not worrying about it. It's full on. Yeah. But, like, it's cool. Like, I believe in numerology to some extent. Like, I'm not some crazy, like, I don't look at the stars <laughs> and see something. But it's, yeah. like, I find that it tends to be a lot yeah. more accurate than this whole astrology sort of. What yeah. Call, what's that thing that everyone's into? Uh, astronomy. Yeah. No. no is, uh, is it astrology? No, astronomy. No. It's a, what? The, I feel like I'm winning out. star science? Yeah. <laughs> well, which one is that? I think that's astrology. Is it? I said astrology. You said astronomy. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Whatever. I... We sound up. <laughs> I just cannot Wait. remember anything. <laughs> you know what the fascinating thing is? Like, we're like, oh, we're filmmakers. And then everyone's like, you don't know shit about yeah, astrology. Well, well, I realize no one knows shit. Like, no, I started I working at JB Hi-Fi after, like, um, graduating to, like, make money for a gap year. Yeah. And they didn't onboard me. So, I'm looking at these products worth thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm just selling them. And I actually don't know what they do or what they are. And the trick they taught you is that, you know how they've got dot points on little cards? Yeah. It's The trick is to read it quicker than them and turn it into sentences. Ah. So you actually don't know anything. and So don't trust those people. Like, no one knows anything. Everyone's just faking it. And then I, like, lost trust in everyone's education <laughs> and capability. And now I'm not even upset when I don't know something. I'm like, no one knows anything. <laughs> whatever. Oh, my God. Yeah, so whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. Sad truths. Sad, <laughs> Sad truths. This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Lexi, with three E's, Lexi Gordon. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Perfect introduction. <laughs> Thank you. It's important to acknowledge the three uh, E's. <laughs> you know, when I read that the first time, I was like, you know, and now that you've explained the story, I'm like, who has three E's in their name? You don't, you can't criticize. You just have to admire. You know? yeah. It's not Lexi. Yeah. I do occasionally get people that know me doing the L-E-X-I. Yeah. I find it offensive because I'm like, God, how long have you known me? But especially <laughs> when it's on like something like Instagram or mm. Facebook where your name is literally above and they proceed to type the message with the I and you're like, but it's right there. Just copy it. <laughs> anyway. It's, it's, it's the skills. It's the skills. You know, that reminds me of people at Starbucks when they constantly, you spell your name in front of them and mm. they still give you the wrong name on the cup. You say Jerry and you get Mary. Yeah. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you get whatever they want. They pick your name. Yeah. You just, you say to them, oh, my name's Barry. They give you Tom. And you're like, how did they? All right, sure, whatever. The illusion of choice. I reckon it's just a marketing ploy. Yeah. You know, I reckon there was one really bad worker and then they're just like, 
he's onto something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, wow, this is sellable. Everyone comes here because they hate how we spell. But the <laughs> issue is how many people have gotten the wrong coffee order. Because if you say my name's Martin and then they go, Michael, and like you just take it. You're like, I think it's me. Yeah, but I, I think that's why they've learned when you go to Starbucks now that they say what the order is. They specifically go like uh, a macchiato or like an iced you know coffee mm. like chocolate with sprinkles and you know <laughs> what a mature order <laughs> yeah. i i always love going to like starbucks is the most american franchise ever um in australia and the co- i found out recently i went to i went there it was the best coffee advice i ever got from someone who worked there they were like oh yeah don't get this one because it only comes with one shot of coffee and it was a large. And I was like, how does one large thing only come with one shot of coffee? And he was like, nah, you just add an espresso shot. And I'm like, that's a ripoff. And he's like, I know, but I've worked here for 20 years. Well, I like, because I'm not a coffee drinker. I discovered, this was probably like a year ago, which is very embarrassing to admit. I didn't actually understand that coffee was all just the same thing with different like ratios. <laughs> that was mind blowing. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, so when people say like a long black with a little bit of milk, I'm like, mm. So isn't that just like a, isn't that then got a formal different name? <laughs> like, no, it's a long black with a little bit of milk. Is that ridiculous? It's so confusing. I'm like, because then if you go, can I have like a, like, I don't know, a latte with a bit of chocolate? I'm like, isn't that just a cappuccino? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I'm a little bit judgmental. <laughs> You're just like, that. I've got my tea and that's all I give a- <laughs> I am drinking tea. So if I pause, <laughs> <laughs> got to flag um, it. I- <laughs> I also I will say um, before we start, you mm. are allowed to swear on this podcast, so go go Very good wild. I'll try not to go too wild. My <laughs> mom's been telling me she's been telling me off because on the last part on podcast, I like swore a little bit. I'm like, all right, we're toning it down. I also speak too quick, so hopefully I'll use his mind's a double speed. <laughs> just got a heart. Yeah, doing heart. I just passed it over to my mom for critique. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, so, Lexi, mm. I know a bit about you, but people on the internet might not know who you are. Mm. I'm going to get you to explain who you are and what you do. Wow, so vague. Um, <laughs> this could be like a long, you know, biographical novel. <laughs> yeah. This could be like a log line. Um, <laughs> so, I studied film and TV production at JMC Academy. I graduated in twenty end of 2019, started, tw- no, lie, tw- end of 2020. I'm like, where are we? COVID's messed me up. End of 2020, beginning 2021. I now work at Stan Australia um, part-time. I do social media marketing on the side, freelance, and I make films. There you go. Does that sum it up enough? It does. Cool. <laughs> I, mean, I, love, I love that you're kind of like an entrepreneur kind of person as well, because you're kind of very driven mm-hmm. as well, which is un- like not unusual for people you know, in this country, but I, f- I feel particularly now with post-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we were just like, what's a career? And you were just like, nah, fuck it, I'm going for it. I thrived in, I loved COVID, super controversial opinion. <laughs> Everyone was like really sad and lonely. And I was like, I like, I was great. Like I got mm. a social ma- like media marketing diploma. I like pumped it out. I was like working three jobs all online. Like I was writing films. I loved lockdown. Yeah, look at you now. Yeah, overwhelmed. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as you had a social life. Yeah, I know. Isn't it, it weird? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so which 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 of your journeys came first? So where mm. did where did where did the Lexi journey start? How far back are we going? Yeah, we're going back to the childhood. Days. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> back going to back childhood. 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 Ooh. 
Um, so I'm a, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother named really? Jaden, spelt normally. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have three E's? No, uh, that'd be Jaden. Um, no, he's really cool. We get on really well. Um, hmm. And apparently, I see, when you're young, you don't know. I know I wanted to be a vet like every other person ever that liked a dog, um, <laughs> honestly. And then when I looked at the realities of it, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Um, I definitely liked acting. But my sister was the queen actress. She's like seven years older and she was super talented. So yeah. I kind of got knocked off my horse and I was like, yeah, maybe I'll leave it. To her. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have two um, struggling artists. So I let her have it. Um, she lands up quitting anyway. Now she's really successful in the corporate field. But, oh, um, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Better than acting, right? No, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, different paths. Um, and then I really wanted to like do filmmaking. I used to like write like little novels and I was like super young. I must have been like seven. I'd sit at the laptop like writing short stories, mm. which at the time I thought was super normal. But now I look back, I'm like, wow, where are they? <laughs> Could be inspo. <laughs> um, uh, I used to draw a lot. I did. I wanted to be an artist, but then I was like, do artists make money? Um, and they do, guys. They can make money. <laughs> but I wasn't prepared to find out. <laughs> So I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a filmmaking so different, right? There's so yeah, no, I was like, I was yeah. like, okay, how how is your financial bank account going? Not great. Yeah, not, not great. Right. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know it just gets funneled through yeah i know it's just like oh i had a lot of money at the beginning of today and now uh, zero dollars uh, you're telling me literally last week i was like looked at my account i was like looks all right like this is my spending for the week dead set woke up the next morning and it was in the negatives i'm like i'm confused <laughs> and i looked and i'm like adobe like canva like oh. frame all these film softwares and like graphic design goodbye took everything in one go i was like yeah. you're kidding me like i know and, and, and like i get the adobe suite um and it's yeah it's 70 bucks a month oh my God. it's and it's so ridiculous because i remember you could pay out right for the stuff originally mm. it was like 150 what 200 bucks and then you would just owned it um, oh, do they not do that anymore no they don't do it because you've got the creative cloud and they always ask you for updates so that's why you pay a subscription fee of enormous preposterous price. Um, but it, it's yeah. it's it, it's why I always like I have the uh, like downloadable DaVinci and not the paid mm. DaVinci on my laptop because I don't want to ever sort of upgrade. Smart. It's, I do think they stuff you over though because yeah. I've had some times where I'm like, am I getting – okay, so this is a rant on Adobe. Adobe, if you're listening, fix it. <laughs> so what they do or what they did, I don't know, is – so you know how like – when you get one, you actually have to like download the updated software. Like yeah. mine doesn't automatically. So then I'll have that. And I just assume they're on the same payment because whatever, it's the same software, just one's updated. But instead I was getting charged double for the same thing. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I'm already like broke down yeah, to no. like, are you like, how much more do you want to strip us? <laughs> oh my God. But you remember like, this is the industry where we're basically corporations bitches like yeah you know we are really we you know it's we like you said you said at the beginning like <laughs> actors are our prostitutes like mm. it's i didn't say it like I, that <laughs> <laughs> martin's making me sound terrible <laughs> no i said in the industry it feels like the way that it works in the hierarchical manner and the way that people are used and there's a good quote from Piggy blind is that will justify this and he says like are you a prostitute to grace they meant like one of the supporting actresses yeah and um and she says, why would you say that? And he goes, we're all prostitutes, Grace. We all just sell different parts of ourselves. Mm. So now I look at everything as a type of prostitution. 
not that, that that's a bad thing. It's just life. Everything's transactional. But I think in the industry, I find that when you're first starting out, the hierarchical system works as, you know, directors, producers at the top, actors kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But I find that actors, because they're giving their vulnerability and their mind and their heart and they're just splaying it out and they're just being thrown everywhere and having to do things, they're almost prostituting themselves out for a project, right? Yeah, 100%. But that flips because when they're really famous, boy, do they move everybody else around their schedule. they got to get their angle right. Like, it's yeah. just different. But, I mean, directors prostitute their hearts and yeah. their labor. I mean, everyone prostitutes something. It's just <laughs> – that's what it is. That's – that's I know the game. it's and it's such a like mm. a, a turnstile industry as well, and I think it's it it's a lot less brutal than it used to be. Um, like I think back in the day, especially like um, even even when I started working in TV and in 2014, it was definitely a bit different mm. than it is now. Because, but it, you know, it's interesting because you had that conversation of like, oh, are we becoming too soft and everything, and I think. Mm. Pros and cons. There's like, I, I'm very much like you go to you go to work. You do you you know you focus on a job and you try and do the best of the your ability. Don't bully anyone on set. Is kind of like my sense. Like don't be a dickhead. Mm. Um, but the other side of it is just also when I meet people who don't attempt anything, and I'm like, well, then you're a waste of my time. And I will, <laughs> I and I I don't know. I've got, I don't know if you're like this as well. Like when I see people, and maybe this is just working for like TV, and it might mm. be similar in Stan. Um, but I definitely have at times just been very, when I'm training people, especially, and I'm like, oh, you need to know, like, mm -hmm. you need to know these things and you need to know faces and you need to know who you're talking to. And you just need to do a bit of mm -hmm. research on everyone and like do as much home research as you can. Mm -hmm. So that will make your day to day experience a little easier. And when people don't do that and you've sort of been training them for like two months, or something, and it's I start to go, okay, then I'm not bothering to train you anymore because I have used my two months preciously to help mm. you, and if you haven't learned, then goodbye and fly on mm. your own because if your wings get clipped by someone else, I'm not going to feel too sorry for you. Yeah, no, uh, like thankfully the company's actually a really nice yeah. company and everyone's, it started really small though. Like when I joined, this is like a year and a half ago, almost two years now. Wow. When I started, it was... Oh, it was, it was like 65 people. Now it's only like 250. What? Yeah, it really grew. Like we've that, now got two offices. But was that when Stan was just like a minute? No, they're now seven years old. God, you heard that, it first, that, ladies and gentlemen. No, <laughs> yeah, I was like, hang on, no. I feel old now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they're seven now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but they're actually a really good company. And yeah. Everyone knows everyone and the culture's really good and everyone's super friendly. I've never heard yeah. anything bad about Stan. I love, mm. uh, like, it, they are just sound amazing. And also just, like, if anyone if, if anyone internationally does not know Stan, it's like mm. an Australian-specific streaming platform. Mm. And it's probably one of the better ones in terms of interface. Better yeah. than Netflix because it's actually very easy to navigate mm. what's on their site. Um, and I prefer watching stuff on Stan because it doesn't crash half the time. Mm. Um, but, you know... I, I do think that I have a lot of um, a lot of respect for Stan. I see a lot of the film crew um, appear constantly mm. around the inner west. Um, you sort mm. of walk past Stan crews. Like the other day, they were actually filming um, Wolf Like Me uh, right near my work. Mm. So I was outside of Channel 7 looking directly at, you know, Wolf Like Me set. And they were just like, oh, <laughs> um, my partner and I were just standing at the front of the film crew. Mm. And 
like I they they sort of specifically were like, oh, do you work for Channel Seven? I was like, yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, you can come through, but they weren't letting any pedestrians like oh. go through the middle of Martin Place because yeah. they had this massive stunt thing going on, and it was like this car was. I oh think, yeah, drive. yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, so I think it, they had a one shot because they were flipping the car. Yeah, so it's like um, it's and you know this is in the middle of the city, mm. so it's like, and I remember I got the road closure email the day before so I walked to work and it was just one of those surreal things that we but we were sort of like going where's Josh Gad where's Isla Fisher <laughs> didn't see them but you know I think it was like they probably had stunt doubles there yeah, to, like it wouldn't have been the main actors yeah 100%. Um, but I mean like that's that's awesome so you so you make films on the side is that do you consider that kind of a, a little bit still because you have the stand job and you know and freelancing and everything what do you consider like your you know I guess real career career it's such a stupid word but yeah yeah like definitely making films I mean but that's an aspiration and that's a very expensive and long hard road (laughs) so you need side hustles to kind of keep you up realistically so then I have side hustles but very luckily I enjoy all of them and I'm super fortunate I know some people aren't and they work at cafes or bars and they don't enjoy it Mm. but they have to make money and I'm super fortunate that I work in industries that I really love. So, uh, yeah, I'm really lucky. Yeah, because mm. it, it, it sounds – because, you know, I know I'm um, – you know, before I even knew of your existence, I remember um, one of my friends talking about you, which didn't name you by name. <laughs> they just was like, I'm working with this cool person who's very cool. <laughs> That's um, sweet. A guy called Robin Query. Um, and he, oh, I love Robin. Yeah, yeah Robin's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he just mentioned you. We were filming and he yeah. was just like, oh, yeah, no, she's phenomenal. She's she's oh. great. And, and he was like, she reminds you, uh, me of you. I was ah. like, oh, that's very sweet. Because <laughs> he was like, yeah, no, it's just nice working with people who are enthusiastic. Because mm. um, I think there's a lot of, like, Robin's, ha- you know, in his 70s now, and he's had a long career of probably working with a lot of people who are, like, very down on the industry. And he's, mm. like, loves working with people who just think it's the bee's knees. And, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he just loved working with you. Like, mm, He was amazing to work with, though. Robin, like, was super transparent from the start about the kind of style he likes working with and, how he likes to be directed, how he best works and receives yeah. like direction. And he was great. And he really, he, he had to be strong because he is the narrator of the new film. I don't want to call it a short cause it's 40 minutes in yeah. film festivals. That's actually considered a feature. So yeah. I don't really know what to call it anymore. Um, but yeah, because he's the narrator of it, he actually had to have a really strong performance yeah. and looking at the footage, I'm like, wow, he like, he really nailed it. But even actors of any age just get really exhausted really quickly on set. And for good reason, it's a tiring, you know, mm. hurry to wait. Like it's exhausting. And I get that. And sitting in lights and cameras and heat and mm. direction, it's overwhelming. And even my cinematographer, Chris Rass, who I'm very close with, and we've got a great, great working relationship. He even said like, Robin is a legend. Like he has not complained once. He gets on with it. He makes it easy. He's there when you need him. He's gone when you like need him gone. And I was like, you know what? That's actually phenomenal because there are so many actors of like younger ages or different experiences or whatever that just really aren't like they just they like don't have the stamina, which is understandable. Like Mm. no one should have the stamina of like 13 hour days. (laughs) It's exhausting. 
But like, it's phenomenal because he really just did not complain. He just no. sat there and he just did what he had to do. Yeah. And like, that was something I really respect about Robin. Yeah. And I think, I think the only ever complaint I got about him, like, was when he, his character on my set didn't have anything to say. And he was just like, silent. Yeah. So he was a silent character. And <laughs> only because it, we weren't filming his dialogue bits and it was just more, we needed him to repeat it so that we could get reaction shots of other people. But it was one of those things that it was like, once we got to the end, it was it was fine, I and mean, he was very excited. But it was just getting him, mm. you know, getting past all the coverage to get back to him. So it's it's mm. always like I do love, but I also agree because I've worked with people of varying different ages, and so mm. you know, I agree with that whole thing of age is not really like some people are just. It's I, not a factor. It just comes not. down to stamina and yeah. professionality. And I think I've worked with some phenomenal actors who just, you know, we've driven like two hours away to film something, and, you know, and then and mm. then gone home. And you aren't able to be there for like That's three awesome. hours, but it's, you know, everyone just has a great time and, and just goes, oh, I understand why this is like at this location and, you know, mm. absurd as it is. But um, yeah, everyone has a great time. Everyone has a laugh. And at the end of the day, they just enjoy creating. Um. Like, and I think I, I've definitely met some actors who just go, oh, I don't know why, like, mm. uh, you know, or they don't learn their lines. That drives me mental. I, like, mm. have you ever had like actors who have sort of not done prep as well? It's hard because I feel like sometimes they do, but they literally just forget it when they're yeah. set and like understandable, probably like cracks down to a lack of experience or a mm. lack of effort. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. stage fry. I'm not sure. But, like, we did one film last year, Girl, which is almost done editing, which sounds like it's almost done, but no, we have sound. We've got post-sound still. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's never quite done. Um, and Scarlett, who was the lead, I was like, because the character was fun. She had flexibility. Mm. And I was like, I was like, you've got your sort of foundation, like free ball. Free ball yeah. on top of the foundation and just give it life. And that was great. But, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, there's definitely moments where I think actors – forget their lines and it's difficult because some but then it depends because in rehearsal some actors don't like to learn their lines yeah and for me who i'm maybe you're the same i think every director is the same there's like 70 renditions of the same script and yeah. you know the week before there's still adjustments to dialogue so for them are you <laughs> yeah do that? no i do but my eye was twitching because it's like i feel that pain <laughs> yeah there always is because then you start seeing like you know we had like a five day like break no, yeah, five? I don't know. Something like that between first block and second block. And in the mm. second block, I was editing dialogue. I was like, because you then you see it and you're like, this would work better to kind yep. of stitch it. Um, but yeah, so I understand why some actors in rehearsals don't want to learn it off by heart. Because they're like, it's just going to change. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think it also, it depends on the, I think one of the things that especially, it depends on the voice. And also, mm. like, I've discovered things in rehearsals that I like the sound of better mm. massively. And I'm like, okay, that's going in the dialogue. Like, yeah, cause sometimes it sounds good in your head, but they can't pull it off. And that's yeah. fine, but then you need to, you know, move and change. Yeah, 100%. And it's such a flexible environment. I also just, I'm such a collaborator as well. Um, you know, I've always asked people for um, different advices. I think, like, that's why I love working with Robin as well. Because he, he'll throw you advice to go, mm. this might work better. And here's a suggestion. But mm. um, I also think that I... You know, it comes down to a level of respect where they don't overtake your project. They just kind of let yeah. you. They let they go. Here's a suggestion. At the end of the day, it is yours. But you know, this is my two cents that might work, might not. Yeah. And I love that because you know, I've worked with um, various people, and I also think that because I've worked with people, some people who aren't who aren't actors by trade, and they've sort of done you know short films and stuff with me. 
and even they're great. Like they've just kind mm-hmm. of like jumped at the chance to do like one of my best friends in the whole world is a um, an amazing human being. He's mostly just a fun creative person, but he never learned how to act in a million years. Oh. But he does great. Like he does voices. He does everything because he did. He learned how to do puppetry. Oh. He learned how to do like you know um, drawing and comic style art. Like yeah. he just did it all. And he's got all this backlog of characters that he's learned how to do but it's not come from the proper training of acting. So he just does them. Oh, that's tough. So it's so... TikTok's where he belongs. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, it so does. But, I mean, like, it it's also comes down to just... Ha- I guess it comes down to having fun because, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's funny when we say we talk about skill set and everything. Mm. And I think sometimes the best kind of performances come out of people who really thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, it's also a tough one. It depends on the kind of stories you're telling as well, right? Like yeah. some stories they really have to crack their heart open and pour oh, out God, some yeah. trauma and it's exhausting. <laughs> like that's not fun. But they have to – like everyone in the industry is in the industry because they absolutely yeah. love what they do unconditionally. And I think that's hard because, yeah. you know, like most of us aren't being paid. And if we are, it's not a whole fortune. It's What do you mean that $50 like for the days? <laughs> No, but like some people do get paid. Some people get paid I, nicely, but it's still below their rates. Oh, but God, it's yeah. nicely for like a corporate job. Yes. You know, so I think, you know, it is a love of labor, labor of love, labor yeah. of love. Well, I, me- getting I remember like I helped a friend with their short film that um, has done reasonably well and it was shot on an iPhone and everything. Mm. And I didn't expect to get paid at all. I expected to just kind of help him out with some things that he had helped me out on a project. Mm. And he divvied up the fundraising campaign that he had done for it and gave everyone like 120 bucks just oh, to kind of nice. like, I was like, that's really sweet. Like yeah. um, just because of labor. And he was like, I know it's not much, but it's something I can do for people when everyone got fed. Um, so as one of those experiences, that I think it, it doesn't matter what you do as long as people feel appreciated Yeah, because it's hard enough making a film from mm-hmm. like from scratch where you're spending the writing time and you're spending like, but I think, um, yeah, it's it's funny. I've worked on I've worked on a few films where I've I've never gotten paid, and I think one of the things is always look for good food. Mm-hmm. Um, food is key because it will mean you've got a happy crew yeah. and a happy cast. Um, and I I also just think make sure everyone feels appreciated mm-hmm. to be there. Like if you're not paying people or you're paying people very low. Um, make sure everyone's having a good time that you've got a good either um, PA or, you know, yeah. first AD who is checking in on people yeah, um, and making sure they're all having fun because, <laughs> you know, it's like, as you say, 13 nowadays, you don't want to sit there just going, no one's checked in on me. Where's my water? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, that's, that's the hardest thing. And I think, you know, like as we were talking about before off mic, you know, do, don't worry, darling's the prime example of mm. a set you don't want to have happen. Um, you know, but I think like it's it's one of those things that I think you learn very quickly. You learn, you know, especially when you've been on sets. Because I remember like the first ever set I was on was when I was eighteen, and mm-hmm. that really taught me about you know at least good set etiquette. Um, and it was like you know three days where I was on a set, and I was like, cool, mm-hmm. all right, this has taught me not to do this, 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 and you know, and this, like, yeah. I mean, did you did you ever get yelled at on your first set experience? No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like I was saying this on another podcast, this might sound repetitive now, but <laughs> it is like a true experience. And I do think like what I did learn on my first set is that 
the hierarchical structure of a film is really tough when you've got people mm. working for you that don't necessarily want a woman in charge. And that really was evident. And I'd never, ever considered that before. I was like, you know, for this one, I'm the director. For the other one, I'm a pretty, like, it just didn't matter. I was like, I'm just another person mm. in this role. But there's definitely a different attitude. And like, that was really shocking. Mm. Um, and that really messed my confidence because I, not that I was being pushed over, but like, I felt like I was being so disrespected because I was a woman mm. and I really felt like I had to compromise on a lot of things because I got too scared to boss people around and tell them what to do because I was like, they're just going to find any reason to like say something nasty or misogynistic. And I was like, and I just cannot give them a reason. Yeah. So that was really hard. So in the second film we did, which was Girl, we had a 70% female crew and all the boys that came on board, we like hammered to make sure they were not misogynist and there was going to be no issues with working with a majority female set mm. because I was like, I can never ever experience that again. I was like, that was the most toxic environment for my mental health. Mm. So yeah, that like, thank God I've never had that again. And now on every set, I've usually got like about 50% female yeah. on it. And the men that I work with are phenomenal, like just really, really lovely and just, just human beings. Like they just don't look at you like they're working with a woman and they don't undermine you. And they're very, very respectful. Yeah. Um, which makes a hell of a difference. Hell of a difference. Yeah, I can imagine. I think, mm. I th can I just say congratulations oh. on that as well? That's like fantastic. I think it was like, um, yeah, that's that's hard. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those things that I always try and have as, as much as possible, 50 to 60% women on my sets. Mm. Um, but that I think... I've definitely worked with people who are very, you know, you know, over time who have been misogynistic and I haven't realized at the time until I've been on set and then I've realized how bad mm. some people are. Um, and I still work with some people to this day, which I don't have much of a choice over because mm. it's not my call, but I, I have definitely sort of, it is interesting to see that level of change. Um, and, mm. you know, it's it's something I think that also is so prevalent to me because it's it's talked about through my mum who was, who's worked in marketing and communications, um, but has also worked for the ABC as a journalist and as a producer and just had talked about, um, you know, equality throughout her entire life. Amazing, amazing experiences that my mum has had. And I think that, yeah, you know, in relating to that, um, I think having this, you know, like getting rid of the misogynistic and, the, and that the bro, it's, you know, mm. it's us or the girls um, attitude out. And just having everyone as people and and working hard together and and creating a safe space is really important mm. because, like, even when I'm around people who are just a misogynistic, I get tired very quickly, mm. and um, and I remember like all the time it just it just happens like naturally. Like I'll, I'll mm. be out with my, uh, my partner and we'll just see how people talk to her and yeah. then the, how they talk to me, and I'm just mm. and and I say to her, I like I hate the fact that I have to constantly stand up um mm. to go and talk to a guy because they don't want to talk to you um as much because they think mm. oh she doesn't know anything she's yeah, she's an weird. idiot because you don't think that would exist now but i think it, it exists in every workplace i just don't yeah. think that's ever going to change and i really hope it does but i'm not feeling very hopeful about <laughs> it um but on a film set that became very prevalent like mm. I mean, you're under time stress, you're 
you're working in an obviously hierarchical system where people report to certain people who report to other people and it's a clear structure and Mm. you know you're under stress you're working long hours most people aren't paid like it's really exhausting and i think it really brings out sometimes the worst in people and sometimes the best yeah and it brings out both and that's kind of the beauty of it but some people's worst is unfortunately really harmful to a certain group of people on set but to your point of um how people treat your partner versus how they treat you out so the kid that we had his name's keanu he's brilliant who was on um sasha's game Mm. he when i first met him he had super long hair, like super long hair, very androgynous look, like super cool, very progressive family, like just phenomenal, like really awesome values. And when we first got the audition, I was like, Keanu for me is a, it could be either sex. I just didn't even. And when I looked at it, cause I remembered I got a call from an agent and I couldn't remember which agent it was saying that they're going to put forward. Cause the story is about a boy who goes through the war as a girl and grows out mm. his hair. Right. So I remember this one, agent approaching me and saying how about i put a girl forward to be a boy who becomes a girl and then she'll chop her hair to be a boy i was like would she be okay with that so i was expecting a girl to audition so when i saw keanu i'm like maybe and i was like i don't know and me and my producer sat there and we were like is it and we're like i don't know like what's this like you know what's what's their cisgender sort of you know and we couldn't figure it out and then when i met keanu he is just the most phenomenal kid he's so so mature but he said that when he goes out he because he's you know is quite often mistaken for a girl i mean now we chopped his hair for the film and he was super cooperative with that and he loves it he's very open to anything he's a very cool boy but um yeah it was quite amazing because he said that a lot of the time they'd say to the mother a single mother amazing Mm. would say you've got such a beautiful young girl and he'd notice how he got treated when Mm. he was a girl his voice hasn't cracked yet but I'm like, isn't that interesting? I was like, but he doesn't care. He's so mature. He's like, I just hate the misogyny that exists. And I notice the way that I get treated differently. Yeah. But it's funny because I am, you know. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And I was like, that's a really cool experiment that you get to experience what it's like for women every single day and the different way they communicate to us. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, it is phenomenal as well. And I think, you know, our, I just remember even when I had long hair back in the day and I had colored hair um, Mm. and there was like two Italian ladies uh, living in my apartment and they just get uh, uh, young deer. They kept calling me uh, young deer and uh, young lady. And I was Mm. like, oh, that's nice. And then they were just like, (laughs) my favorite, my favorite was the fact that they were just like um, always talking about like the, you know, just, um, wanting me to get a haircut and, you know, and decide how I looked. And I was like, this is very interesting. Um, yeah, good. You're good. good I'm just like fiddling with the mic. So I'm like louder. Yeah. Sorry. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it was just a, it was a surreal experience. I think like looking back at that, especially, you know, like having now a lot shorter hair and growing it out again, it, it's one of those things that it, it doesn't really bother me, but, um, especially now, because I, I, I sort of very much identify as a gender fluid person. But I think before, mm-hmm. um, when I was very set in my ways mm-hmm. and I was like young, young Marty, I, I definitely had this very strict, no, I must be a boy and this must be how a boy mm-hmm. looks. And yeah. it, it's, it's so funny how we live in this, you know, very progressive society and, and my, um, um, my cousin's, uh, kid has come out as non-binary as well. And, um, 
they're just going through their sort of like life and they're dressing however they want and like whether it's in a dress whether it's in a um you know uh pants and jeans and everything like that it's just living their best life and i think like they're 12 so mm. if a 12 year old can do that and, and i was 12 and was absolutely terrified with what everyone was thinking mm. that's amazing like this is how far we've come but mm. there's still kind of people out there who go no you must be like this you must be that you must you know as a woman you must dress a certain way no that's so changed like that's the amazing part about the way the world is progressing which gives me hope but um, <laughs> where everything is very normalized and people like actually just don't care it's do yeah. you yeah and it just really does not matter anymore because i think everyone cared way too much yeah i've noticed even with marketing and i'm sure your mom's realized if she's still in marketing or journalism or yeah she's just retired so yeah uh, well i'm sure she probably still has observed that yeah. the way that things are marketed have changed so much because people aren't as insecure and it's mm. really hard to feed off people's insecurities because it's a different type of marketing now where yes. people aren't as insecure and different body shapes are encouraged so these slim tea things just aren't as effective or having a model put on proactive is just not effective anymore because everyone just knows it's crap <laughs> and it's really interesting so i'm like the world is becoming a much safer space but then i had a chat with someone the other day that argued the opposite because they've got you know social media and i was like but when i was growing up i had social media and we had anonymous like question things where people were getting severely bullied yeah and i was like and you were had to look a certain way and you had to have a box gap and be you know borderline like sick and ill and mm. i'm like but now there's not just this white taylor swift appearing woman that everyone aspires to be you've got different curves and different body shapes, different ethnicities, different genders. There's yeah. so many role models. Like what a time to be a kid. Yeah. I think, I, th I, th I think it's like, it's, it's kind of one of those. And I went to the movie theater the other night and there was this advertisement on, and I was like watching it. And I was just thinking, it felt like I was watching heartbreak high in 30 seconds. Mm. Cause it was just like every, every identity kind of ever yeah. in the space of 30 seconds. But um, I think, you know, shows like Sex Education have really kind of opened the books for a lot of people's, you know, understanding yeah. of differences yeah, um, in people's lives. But also, you know, like Heartbreak High, which was another phenomenal, um, you know, Australian show mm. that's changing. And I think while, while I do agree with some mm. elements of what that person said, mm. and I don't think like by any means that that's 100% true, but I mm. do think that... Um, there are pros and cons because I do think that, you know, like, I, as I say to anyone who's kind of like in the older generation who believes, you know, still in certain ways of life, that, you know, they're, they're now in their 70s or 80s or, you know, yeah. 90s. They're a, lo a lot of them are close to dying, unfortunately. And, you know, whether you think mm -hmm. that's a good thing or a bad thing, a lot of the values they have will die with them yeah. and will not go unless they've integrated that strongly. But you will always, unfortunately, find pockets of it still. If you go to the country, if you go to certain parts of the city, mm. you will find those, and especially certain cultures, yeah. you will find that belief because it's not, it's not always as widely accepted mm. as, I guess, we think because we're so infatuated with our social media mm. while in australia i think it's much better than it used to be like 10 years ago 100 percent. um but it's still got a fair worldwide mm. it's still got a fair way to go 
For sure, but it was pretty giant step in the past yes. like five years. I mean, it's been like a leap. I mean, like yeah, went absolutely. From nothing to everything. Hundred percent, and I think I think that's due to just you know like shows really putting a stance on it and really trying to push it to the popular framework mm. of the medium, and especially having big name actors in shows that talk about those issues, mm. because that then makes the older generation who were like, oh, I don't understand children to watching these shows because their favorite actor from when they were young is in it and they're like oh you know um you know like ian mckellen's in this i better watch it you know Mm -hmm. and it's about this this issue and it's like you know people just open their eyes and um you know think more outside their box of Mm -hmm. vision but i do also think that it is our job as young filmmakers to kind of really also make sure that I guess we really make sure we push the agendas that we want to, especially like political ones um, and and freedom of speech forward. But then, you know, you don't want exactly the freedom of speech that everyone has, which is like the Trumps of the world and mm. the Pauline Hansons of the world, yeah. really kind of like pushing that, you know, the systemic racism or the, you know, the, the belligerent opinions, mm. but being aware that they still exist. I think, yeah, I think there's sure. a very... It's interesting. There's always got to be this dynamic of where we stand and and mm. the fine line of wa- walking along, you know, stories that we do. Because I I do think that some of the stories where it's like you, you watch a film or you watch a short which has been made and it's gone into a festival and it sort of beats you over the head with a message tend to be mm. the ones that don't do as well. Yeah. I think and and kind of turn people off. It's got to be subliminal. You know? Yeah, everything's got to be subliminal. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's subtext. It just yeah. needs to be there, but yeah. not there in your face. Yeah. I mean, like, as a director, though, like, and as a filmmaker, what's what's your main big sort of, like, things and agenda that you want to sort of tell? What stories are the specifics mm. that you want to tell? Vulnerability, for sure. Mm. Strength and vulnerability is definitely up there. Like, I think all my films kind of share. They're all period pieces, honestly. I just... <laughs> Like, let's get it out there. Um, I, I just love them. But so they all share that in common, a lot of them at least. Yeah. Um, I love, yeah, I love the hardships, like the real human experience, but with this hyper real sort of tone mm. that's digestible. Like the best way I can compare it is something like Promising Young Woman, which if you've seen. Love that yeah, film. Where it was heavy and I felt like vomiting at the end of the film mm. and I felt faint, but it was so digestible while you were getting it because they just dosed it a little bit and then a little bit of humor to take, you know, to swallow the sugar and then some crappy medicine and then take some sugar. And you just don't even realize how much poison you're swallowing until you get to the end and you feel sick. Yeah. But I think it's so digestible. And who's just going to watch a depressing <laughs> three-hour, like, just, it's not, which sounds like Blonde, to be honest. I haven't watched Blonde I yet. haven't watched it. I'm too scared. I'm watching uh, it tonight. Oh, my God. Yeah, good that's luck. That's controversial. Yeah, thank uh, you. I'll need it. Um. But yeah, that's just sounds like that to me is scary because yeah. it's just depressing. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Promising Young Woman is very depressing, a super important message, but so digestible because it's buried in humor yeah. and like, you know, comedy relief. So I think for me, that's sort of how I portray messages of vulnerability and struggle and yeah. just the human experience. But yeah, those are the common themes. I mean, that's a, that's awesome. And I love that you can, you know, you compare those two films um because promising young woman is a fantastic phenomenal film and carrie mulligan and bo Mm. burnham were both phenomenal in that um 
And it just, oh, sorry, I remember that was Emily and my first date movie, which was an interesting first date movie. Yeah, to go gosh, to. that's a really confronting one. Yeah, I know. First date. Wow. Um, but it, it's one of those films that I feel like it really, especially like, um, you know, I'm not going to re- spoil anything, but, you know, go and see it. It's just from start to finish, if you want a really interesting in-depth look at what it's also like as a daily basis to be a woman, that film kind of felt it, like it hit mm-hmm. every sort of nail on the head um but without as you say without kind of just feeling like you're lying uh, crying on the floor constantly it had a lighter tone it was digestible it was comedic enough to swallow it and same as joker to be honest like that Mm. film's heavy and you feel sick at the end as well but as it comes it's pretty digestible there's some funny moments you've got the live show which is kind of funny and you know there's funny comments going on it's digestible yeah but there's certain movies that just are not like they're not digestible no and that's really hard to sit through yeah and it's it's kind of also why like you know films like blonde Mm. uh you know getting slammed by critics oh there's so Uh, many reasons that's getting slammed Uh, outside of the fact that it's a dark three hour movie yeah it's um but it's it's also just i've read so many articles of it recently and i just you know I think that this reading all the articles about it mm. and all the controversial scenes that are in it, it just doesn't. There's nothing about it that makes me want to sit through it that uh, I'm other reading. Other than curiosity, yeah. Other than-, other than curiosity, but like I just from what I've read, and this is me giving my opinion without having seen it, but having read a shit ton of reviews. Mm. Um, but it seems like okay. So initially i was talking to my friend josh about it who had watched it and he said just careful it's really triggering and i was like triggering like Mm. it's yeah i know kind of you know the sexual assault she went through and i i I, like i know her life but i'm like how triggering are they going to make it like it's a movie right like it needs to be digestible and then like he goes yeah but it's really confronting like they've really hammered on it and then it was like no i'm reading reviews i'm like how bad is this and everyone's saying a disgusting, like I could literally read the reviews. It was atrocious. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to give the director the benefit of the doubt. He's a New Zealand Australian director. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, Andrew Dominic. And I'm going to say that he really tried to empathize with the female experience and what it is like, but he honed in way too hard on trying to understand it, that he lands up being misogynistic and representing like way too much pain mm. instead of her artistry. I was like, okay, I'm going to take that angle. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Then I see an interview where he called her and the pe- the women of that era in like the talent sort of field and performers, well-dressed whores. And I was like, nah, he's just misogynistic. Like, I'm like, I'm not even going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, I'm like, this is a director that doesn't respect his subject. Mm. And yes, it's based on a book and half of it's fiction. And it blurs the lines. And I understand the creativity behind that. But I'm like, he disregarded her entire talent, her being, her performance, her her entire life and legacy. He's just spat on her grave. And I was like, I haven't even seen it yet. And I'm furious because I'm like, if this is the way women in 2022 are represented by middle-aged men who shouldn't be directing a woman's biopic, it's no. not even a biopic in the first place. But the fact that he's doing this insensitively with misogynistic, male-gazing, disrespectful, visual brutality, like, like in what world is that okay? So- yeah. I'm dreading to see it because of how visually brutal it's supposed to be. But I'm like, she's crying for the whole three hours of, I'm like, I hope he protected her mental health, at least the actress. Like, yeah, I'm like, Anna de Armas might be scarred for life because she had a man that cannot even empathize with 
the feeling of what it is to have your you know, your womanhood stripped from you and have you like moved around and pulled like mm. an object. I'm like, you can't empathize with that, let alone have an actress portray it incorrectly, like, you know, drowning in pain. Mm. And I'm like, I hope he supported her enough through that process because, yeah, I don't know. That film, like just from what I've heard, makes me furious. So I'm very interested to watch yeah. it. Yeah, I think, I, I, <laughs> like, I think, yeah, I, d- I didn't realize he said that in an interview. I've just been mm. very, like, I've read the reviews, but I haven't seen that interview. And that mm. sort of, that hits the nail on the head. Because I did, I know the JFK scene, particularly. Yeah, that ha- that is fiction. But I'm like, also, you know, if you look at history, JFK had his illicit affairs and everything, um, apparently. And... Yeah, I, totally. But I'm like, you can't spit on how many dead graves are you going to spit on? Like, yeah, I know. Like, you've got two there. Both mm-hmm. one, you know, both of them are, you know, dead. Yeah. So, like, why are you making this situation that's ba- entirely based on fiction? If it's based on a book, which makes it harder because it's like, is it his fault or is it the author's? And it's like, but he chose to adapt the book yeah. when the book was already horrid. Yeah, the uh, the book was already like it was, uh, you know received very mixed reviews Mm. since it got released and then it's kind of like why would you adapt that and i remember watching this reviewer this um grace rudolph who does movie reviews in the u.s and i remember her talking about it and her she had so many opinions about the film should not be made because the book was entirely fictional and she was like if anyone believes this story that's going to ruin marilyn monroe's experiences in life and you know this isn't true none of this book is based in any um, part of reality. And while, yes, um, she had a horrible life and she was um, massively assaulted and everything, but, you know, tell it from a truthful angle and tell it about the real Marilyn Monroe, not about this fictionalised version of her, Mm. which, you know, who are you telling the story for? Well, I think what could have worked, I still would have been pissed off about it just because of who directed it and the fact (laughs) that he's a misogynist. But if he wanted it to work, he could either have some total random blonde that resembles Marilyn Monroe but is not Marilyn Monroe Mm. and done it just so he doesn't spit on her grave. Or he could have it from the author writing it on their perception of who Marilyn Monroe was from a Mm. fictional point of view. And they have her narrate it. That or who he who I don't know whoever wrote the book mm. that would have been okay because I would have been like okay you've made it obvious that it's fiction and you've really hammered the point that it's from a perspective of perception of who Marilyn Monroe was but it is fiction mm. and that would have hammered it in for everyone and everyone would have been okay with the delivery of it yeah. but I'm like the fact that it's presented as a biopic when it's not a biopic it's fiction and it's disrespectful misogynistic and brutal yeah that's when I'm like. You haven't blatantly made it obvious enough that it's fiction, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean that's a, that's a, that's where I sort of dislike it as well because it is really advertised as a very much a biopic. Mm, the lens is wrong. It's the stories, whatever. I disagree with it, but if you're going to tell that story, just different lens. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. I mean, like you know, staying on track with the misogynistic angle as well mm. because I do, I do think that there's a lot of films out there that do inaccurately represent women as well, and mm. and there are a lot more female directors obviously come into the fold. Yeah. Um. Like, I think what, especially in Disney, which is now predominantly trying, uh, maybe more it's Marvel division, mm. trying to push forward um, a lot of female angles because um, there's a lot more shows. Like, She-Hulk was written yeah. entirely by women. 
and in directed entirely by women. Uh, Jessica Jones, when it was on season two, was entirely directed by women. Mm-hmm. It was not directed by men. Um, I don't think any of the seasons actually were ever had a male director because that was the whole point of it was to right. deal with um, sexual assault. Um, rape victims and you know everything so it was really trying to just hone in on that wow, angle okay. of of what it's like to be a woman kind of mm. you know living on their own and you know recovering from trauma and I think you know even though you put it through a superhero lens and everything mm. I think it is smart because it does talk through a lighter tone especially with She-Hulk um, through the lens of comedy as well as kind of just knowing what it's like to be a female lawyer and be treated like it, it, like a little bit differently mm. um, by your appearance and, mm. and you know, whether you're a giant green monster or you're like yeah. a human being. And I think, um, you know, there's there's definitely other films that I've like, I remember I saw a film not like that long ago with um, called Misbehaviour, which was about the beauty pageants um, mm. and, uh, you know, the riots between those. I've seen, you know, like... Uh, you know, I remember years ago I made a complaint about the fact that fem- uh, women aren't paid equally mm-hmm. and all my friends who are men were like, no, that's not true. They're all paid yeah. equally. Still to this day, it's they are not. It's a huge debate. It's... Like, I don't really get involved because I'm like, look, I, I don't feel like I'm informed enough on that subject to know if maternity balances it out or if yeah. this and that. Like I, like, I feel like I can't get involved in that argument, but it is fascinating to hear how many men are against it. Oh yeah, without but, any knowledge, like they don't do what I do and say I don't know enough about it to get involved. They just take the side of it's equal and it lands up being fair. I'm like, on what basis? Do yeah. your research first. Like I haven't done enough research to even bother. Yeah, because I won't. <laughs> no, and that's fair. And I mean, like I only know the research because mum. Yeah. So it's like a saving grace that you know. But it, it's massive. And I remember I had this conversation with one of my coworkers who I used to work with, and I told her what I was being paid, and she had worked there longer, mm-hmm. and she was being under. Uh, paid less than me wow that's and i was like not good i was significantly younger like Mm. than her she was in her 30s and i was in my early 20s and i was like how am i paid less than you it made no sense to me but it was basically because you know she was a woman and our our manager at the time was a sexist um, misogynist so it was kind of one of those things that you know was was pointed out at but it still i don't think has fixed it because you know there's certain parts of our industry that are still yeah. like have certain people in power but it is getting mm. better mm. um but in saying that like when you you know for you though when you go just in general to work or out to scenarios and stuff and especially like you know through, do you decide constantly what you'll wear based on what kind of reactions you'll you know get unsolicited mm. reactions no, like I'm actually very unapologetically myself. Oh, and thank Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know, I feel like judgment doesn't really affect me as it used to. I feel like I used to really be affected by it when mm. I was younger. And I feel like I went through this whole development of kind of growing up and growing out of it and being like, who actually cares? Like, you know, it's going to bother them and that's their opinion. And not everyone has to like me and like my outfit and like my decisions. And that's mm. absolutely their journey and none of their business and if they can do whatever they want and you know I don't care like I just think everyone's on their own journey and at the end of the day like it's just hate you know bruise hate it's just really Mm. not the judgment just isn't worth it and if it doesn't affect you like who actually cares so no it doesn't affect me at all I wear comfy stuff when I go to set I like fashion so I try to wear comfortable stuff on set that Mm. I feel like I look good in and it's practical 
mm. and I don't really care. <laughs> Can I just say I love that? I, lo- I fucking love that. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we live in such a, I think, um, you know, people dressing a certain way or sort of constantly mm. worrying about what they they wear versus, like, the reactions they get. Mm. Um, and, you know, it doesn't happen to everyone, obviously, but it, mm. it can happen a lot. Um, That's a tough one, though, because I feel like that would be a really good question for someone that dressed really feminine, though. Oh, so, yeah. Because I feel like the like I'm on the opposite thing. Like I don't show a lot of leg. I'm constantly in pants and female suits. And can I know. just say though that that's <laughs> fucking awesome. Thank you. But I feel like it was actually interesting though. Sidetracking, but um, I was actually out with my partner Brad, who's amazing and supportive. He, giving him a shout out because I didn't on the last <laughs> one. Um, You're like but- my partner Brad. Please tell him yeah. know that you exist. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like he is very accepting of the way I dress yeah. and, um, minus some of my over the top extra stuff where he's like, is that really necessary? <laughs> I'm like, it absolutely is. The more attention, the better, but um, no. So Especially the attention from him. So he you know. loves the drama. He's, he's, he even said yesterday, I was like, am I being dramatic? He's like, but I'm dating you for the drama. I'm like, good. That's, that's why we're here. Um, but I was like. I was at his place and I was yeah. quite ill and I caught him sick to work and whatever. So he just gave me his clothes because I didn't bring appropriate clothes to go to the shops. Mm. So he gave me like his board shorts. He's like very surfy. So he's got like whatever. And he gave me like an oversized jumper and I just wore like my high socks with his slides and I put on his beanie and my hair looked like bad. So I just wrapped it inside my beanie. So I, I did look like a dude to be a hundred percent honest. And we went to the shops and I was like, Brad, take notice of the looks. And everyone stared for longer than they would or they did a double take i'm like how fascinating like my appearance really affected people's like perception of what they knew to be a woman or a man that Mm. they had to do a double take and i'm like i really just don't care i'm like i'm very comfortable i feel good that my hair is not visible i'm like i just want to go to the shops and buy some burrata like i don't want to be like but it was interesting i was like take a look at this because i'm like i don't they didn't say that he's got long blonde hair and he's a very gorgeous looking person. And I feel like sometimes he get does get a double look as well. Yeah. You know, when he's well shaved, you know, he can look like a really elegant woman. So <laughs> I think he also gets a double take sometimes. So it's not something that's new to him, but I think it was interesting for like us both to observe the yeah. double looks together. Cause he had just shaved. I'm like, Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's always the, like, isn't that always the way? Mm. Um, I, <laughs> We have that happen around here as well, like, because um, I wear a lot of, like, um, you know, I have a lot of jumpers, and they're lo- originally all designed for women. This is why I hate, like, stereotypes, but they're mm. so comfy, and they're very bright. I love bright clothing. Yeah, I love that you're so bright. It's so happy. <laughs> it's, I love it. It's it's so good. But I remember I went uh, uh, my amazing, um, Emily's amazing mother, um, Julie, gave me this sort of cardigan, and I keep wearing it, um, and I love it. It's so great in winter. But I remember this one guy down the street was just like, nice, um, nice fancy dress. And I was like, what, this really comfy cardigan that I'm wearing that just it fits so well around my frame. Sure, yeah. this is fancy dress. I was like, this is just comfort. But it's, it is interesting because, you know, like we, we, we do talk about what we wear. And, you know, like I remember I, I went to a Mardi Gras once and had completely shaved my legs. And I was like, I understand now why some women shave their legs and some men shave their legs. It's so nice. Yeah, um, but when it grows back, it hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah, when it grows back, it's a bitch. Um, but it's just like one of those nice, you smooth leg mm. feeling. You, um, But it's, you know, I feel like the, when people have never tried these things mm. that or like 
you know, dressed a certain way or they just they haven't ever attempted, they care more. Mm-hmm. They they get worried more and then they get more judgmental. Yeah. Like I have a really amazing dad, um, a, an amazing father who's always been very supportive growing up. Um, even even though he like he didn't come from a very supportive family, he's been amazingly supportive to me. And I think one of the things was uh, when I was about like 16, 17, I, um, they bought, no, actually when I was 18, they bought me my first jacket, um, like like blazer thing. And I remember I specifically went to Myers and it had like velvet on the top collar. Mm. I was like, I need this one. And over time, like I, I then just upgraded to more velvet jackets. And I remember him saying, he was like, you look, you remind me of David Bowie. Like oh, you just remind me of someone who doesn't give a shit mm. about what people think and is just so androgynous and just living life. And I was like, my father, who was just particularly never fit into any of the molds, um, it was really quite flattering. So I, I do think that he is just like one of those people who just goes and, you know, is really proud of what his kids have become. But, um, you know, there there is the sense of, I I think, you know, that some parents, it does go over the heads of, especially when I hear some friends, you know, especially some of my um you know, uh, trans friends or um, non-binary friends that they, their parents do struggle with the concept, you know, like, mm. um, or kids that do change their names. That's yeah. another controversial, like, topic where you're like, I want to change my name. And their parents are like, what, do you hate your name? Do you, do you know? Mm. And it's so interesting that then, um, you know, like, we live in this society, especially where, like, everyone has to do a double take. And I don't think that anymore. I don't mm-hmm. I don't stare at people anymore. Mm-hmm. I stare at people from a creative point of view. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah. I just observe. I'm like, just there might be inspiration somewhere. I know. But I think that comes from the acting side of our brain as well. Yeah. Like, it comes from the creative, like, how do I portray this? Mm-hmm. And then it goes to directing side, like, yeah. we're massive, <laughs> massive nerds yeah. that we are. Yeah. Um, like, do you, do you still now to this day, though, sit in the park and sort of write notes on people? No, but I do people watch. Like I find they do really, some people do really interesting things and they've got really interesting quirks and habits and ways of being or a way they walk or like a phrase they say. I'm like, I'm just going to remember that. I'm like, cause this could come in. (laughs) This could come. Yeah. Um, what's the weirdest thing you've made note of? Oh my god! Oh, okay. So I was at I was at a wedding. It was actually my sister's wedding, um, <laughs> and there was a glass, and someone near me was really drunk, and that like the glass was kind of like semi filled with water, and they like got really close to the glass, with like their eyes were literally sitting on top of this glass, and they were pouring more water into the glass, and just like looking at the way that the light was hitting the glass as the water was going oh my in, god. and there was a speech going on, and they were just absolutely out of it. I was like, what an interesting little thing. Wow. That fascinated them. But from a visual point of view, it looked quite cool and quirky watching them do it. And I was like, not bad. I don't know. There's something in that. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's nuts. It's like not like crazy, but I just remember observing it. I'm like, I don't know why I'm so attracted to this person's attraction to (laughs) this glass. glass." I was like, but the way they were like staring at it, I was like, they're invested. Like I'm invested. Like this is storytelling one hundred and one. Yeah, just, just keep me intrigued. Yeah, right. It was did so you, fascinating. Did you turn that into a character? No, I haven't yet, but I will when I have a drunk character. You, I'll know what to do. Yeah, because you, when you write stories, and and I'm, do you write most of the things you direct? Yeah. So is yeah, is, all of them. is that kind of surreal? Are you looking forward to directing something you didn't write? Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a no. It's not an outright yeah. no. Um, 
I just think I have a very particular style yeah. in terms of the visual elements. And I do think it has it does have a more hyper real vibe to it. And I'm yeah. finding a lot of the films going through the I was actually talking about this on the way here to someone, how a lot of the films going through the festival circuit are very slow and they're 50 minutes slow wides of someone walking and there's three pieces of dialogue and it's just very like I don't know, plain, and it just is. It's got a very, like, mm. I don't know. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just something I've noticed. I'm like, I, I'm i not that style. I couldn't be yeah. if I wanted to try. So the piece that I would direct for somebody else, they'd have to be okay with the visual style that I have. And if they're not, then that's just really not going to work. So that's hard. <laughs> hyper-realism. You better yeah. love it. Just, like, colorful, hyper-real, like, period piece, the frame that I give it. Like, it's mm. just not – it's not for everyone. But, um, yeah, because I think a lot of people, when they give their piece off, they want it directed the way that they would have done it. Yeah. And, I like, I couldn't do that, to be honest. I, I literally – like – I'm like you as well. I'm very specific about certain like and and it's interesting because I have a lot of different you know theatrical choices, especially with scripts. Mm. Um, and I've definitely read scripts which are being written by enormously great writers, but I've just clashed with visual yeah. choices with them, and then just like that, nah, you know, don't want to don't want that visual choice. And I'm like, fair enough. Like that's not for you because you know I will always think about different ways you can shoot something, and you know think about like. The processing and sound, uh, sound, but it's it it is interesting because of I like I think because it's the editing background of me. It's like if I don't have a film in my head from start to finish, knowing how that's gonna play out, mm. then you know, like it's kind of weird because yeah, I've I've, I've edited a lot of films and I always notice when people skip or miss something, mm. and I think you know, especially like. And you probably get this, you know, when when you do your first film or you do your first ever, like, mm. it feels like a training practice round. You're yeah, like, oh, oh yeah. everything sucks. By the end. I mean, everything is always just a practice round, right? Yeah. Like, it's the same as, like, musicians where they look back on an album they did two years ago and they cringe. Like, it'll yeah. always be that way. Oh, God, yeah. But I, I, do you ever, like, watch your first film and you're, like, oh, yeah. about 50, <laughs> 50 things, you're like, I could have done that better. 100%. And um, it's starting and it was yeah. where you were at at the time and that's fine. And it's always interesting because there's a two-year, like, between filming and mm. post and release, it's almost a year or two years. Like, 100% agree. It's, it's so weird. And people, I think, think that there's such a high turnaround. But post-production... Oh, my God. I could rant about this forever because yeah. I have had so many people be like, how long's post for Sasha's game? Like, you finished shooting. Like, can you show it to us? I'm like, what? Thousands of hours of footage. What? You think it's just editing itself? I'm like, oh, my God. Like... Which is crazy because so many people don't understand. And yesterday I was sitting with my stepbrother at like my stepmom's birthday and he goes, oh, you've just done Sasha's game. Like, so what now? Two, three months and it's done. I'm like, six, seven months, it'll yeah. be done. Maybe. <laughs> like if like, the ed- visual edit's done by then. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy though because people like, but I also think it's because the people we're getting aren't necessarily paid and they have other jobs and other projects. So mm. it's, they're not editing full time. Yeah. So I think that's definitely an element of, you know, considering how long something will take to actually wrap up. Yeah. Which is the worst part because by the time you've edited it, you hate it because you've made so many choices you would never have made now. Yeah. You know, because there's so much time after you've shot it. I think that, I think the longest I've ever had a film not completed was about 
like other than one film that it, it just like I was too young to really actually complete. Mm. And, and it is out in the public domain. It's called uh, Not Enough Time. It's got two scenes missing. If you want to go on YouTube, it, type uh, um, Not Enough Time with my la- first and last name is on YouTube. It was shot on a handy cam with a microphone literally duct taped oh, to God. the side because I was like straight out of high school. So yeah. I didn't know how to film. But I think what was interesting is like it, it had a structure um, but there's so many things I would have done differently now and obviously had a proper crew. But it, it was also one of those things that I look back and go, um, and I showed it to one of my friends and he was like, the editing is really good though. That's the thing. He was like, the flow and the edit you got it like from A to B, like you you, you get that. Um, and he was like, the direction isn't too shoddy either. So I was like very happy mm. theoretically at the time because that's like 11 years ago now when I made that and then, you know, so on and so forth. But I've been on some sets, um, you know, especially like I'm editing some films at the moment um, for other people and that in between like my full-time job and, you know, other projects and stuff mm. and a podcast, <laughs> it's like I do get messages occasionally going, oh, how's the edit going? And I'm like, I, I've told you I've had like no time this month. Yeah. Like, and they're like, oh, well, when's your next availability? And I'm like, this is why I'm sharing the workload with someone else. Like, mm. and they're moving house. So I have a friend who I do a lot of projects with and he's moving house at the moment. So he is going to take over some of the editing duties so we can cut it in half. Um, but, you know, that's the only way that we can sometimes do it because we're, you know, like busy. And especially because there's a project that I'm not getting paid for. So it is so going to take, take, I have to prioritize things, you know, unfortunately that I'm stuck to actually contract based mm. to stick to. And, um, yeah, it's, it's also kind of interesting because, um, you know, whether you work on freelance or stuff like that, I always get people's commitment and crazy schedules. Cause it's like, you know, people just need to chop and change constantly. And mm. it's, it's a nice industry, but I think, you know, when you don't have as much experience, especially with post, mm. uh, that's where it can kind of like, because, you know, the people we sort of, you know, because we have such a good understanding of post mm. and not a lot of people do, especially when they're just performers. Yeah. They think that, oh, I can just get the rough edit and that will be good yeah. for my, like. Yeah, it's hard. Then the whole showreel thing, like I'm very much about though, if the editor has time, I like, I like to give the actors something. Yeah. Like this time around, I was super, like my cinematographer is a gun. Like I could rave about him forever, but mm. um, he, he just, he works harder than anyone I know. And he's just curious. He's just a curious person. So he just did an entire rough cut. That's not his job. He is not the editor. He did an entire rough cut and he just shot it through to me. And I was like, you know, it's like not bad. I'm like, it's rough as hell. And he knew it was rough as hell and there were glitches and whatever. But I was like, you know what? It's something I can look at and I can actually now give the actors yeah. something for their show reel and give them options that they've got something temporarily. And it was great because I could send it to the composer. I mean, it was 10 minutes shorter, the cut that he did because he didn't leave moments for suspense or anything because he was more looking for do the shots line up from yeah. a cinematography perspective. But I was like, that's actually great. Now I can give it to the composer and he can start on the soundboard in the meantime yeah not the actual editor is doing the precise editing which is obviously taking longer but yeah, yeah it says i mean that's lucky that's really rare that you have someone do that for you a hundred percent and i think like I, I think when i direct a lot of my own things and i was saying this to one of my friends um because my background is editing <laughs> it saves a lot of time but especially like 
about to work on some radio stuff next year and he was just like oh we need someone really skilled and I was like this is me mm-hmm. I know how to edit A to B so and if you I need help I know about 50 people are willing to kind of give pointers because mm-hmm. it's really easy and I think he was just thinking like oh you'll need to pay a professor who's like 50 years experience I'm like no you don't you need to know the ins and outs of what's workable and make it work because, you know, you're limited to budget and constraints and, you know, yeah. it might be location and everything. So you make the best of what you do. Mm. But I think, you know, it, it, it is one of those experiences that, you know, I've I've definitely had, you know, DOPs um, as well, edit, edit sequences. Um, I always get like, I always do like it when directors have a go at their, you know, just what, mm. shot they, what shots they like yeah. and they just go, oh, I love these ones. But um, especially like I've seen... Um, uh, you know some edits uh which are fantastic and then other edits that i think you know um you know aren't aren't crash hot and you i, I think also stylistically I, I do make different choices and i remember my first big um project which was straight out of tafe which was editing with one of my um tafe students and we did this film and i remember he was living in brazil at the time and he was like passing files through to me and I got really sick with like some sort of like th- three month pneumonia or something oh, like that. It was no. awful. Um, but I remember just getting to the point where I was looking at the edits and I was like, are you editing this film or am I? Like, cause he would send yeah. me over like sequences that he had cut together just to be like, this is how I want it edited. Mm. And I was like, okay, so am I copying and pasting? And like, yeah, what it, like that's, I think when the point, cause I love sitting down with directors and them writing notes and going, this is a cut or you sit with the person and you edit yeah. together. That's a great experience. But yeah, a lot of the time, um, you know, some people don't do that and some people aren't great at communicating. Like I've definitely worked with a lot of directors um, mm. who have, it's their first time and they have no idea actually what they want. Mm. And then they go, oh, well, you know, that's that's good. And then a lot of them don't ever get shown. I was telling somebody like a few weeks back that I, like, I think about like, you know, out of the 12 projects I've edited, only about three of them are online um, mm-hmm. out of things that but I But are they going uh, to festivals? No, none of them because oh. they just throw them in the bin. The directors oh. just go, oh, that was an experience and never do anything with them. And it's just really frustrating because it's like, you know, and that's why I think I personally had disdain on like a lot of directors at the time when I was still like um, doing films was they were just, they didn't do anything with the product. They didn't, they didn't really push for it to go forward. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, that takes drive. That takes real, you know, but I guess when you're, you know, when you're an actor director and you're in your own projects, that might be a personal thing to, you don't think it's good enough. Um, like, how do you, you know, like, also because you're dealing with so many different personalities, how do you make sure that everyone's sort of, like, happy with the product as well as yourself? Like, do you worry about what other people think once post and everything is finalised and you're, it's all done? And do you kind of just hope that everyone loves it? Um, Look, everyone's got different tastes. Like, you actually <laughs> cannot have everyone no. love it. Like, no one will, like, even films that have, like, won Flickerfest, I watch and I was like, Really? Like, you know, you're never going to have everyone objectively love it. Yeah. Like, it's different yeah. styles, and I can acknowledge my style is not for everyone. Um, so, no, I don't really <laughs> worry. Like, obviously, I'd like them to like it, but, like, mm. I can't ask for them to like it. Like, if they yeah. don't, that's totally their opinion. It's sad, but it's, you know, you get harder. Um, but I do send it to most of the heads of departments, like the rough cut for their mm. feedback. Not that every single thing they say will be taken into account, but it's interesting. 
So like girl, we've been editing. The editor lives in Italy. Oh, Alessia. Wow. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, I actually got a rough no, I got the second fine cut today. So I just like went through it. But um on the fine like first fine cut, we sent it to she sent it to a few of her friends and I sent it to my cinematographer. I sent it to my soundie. I sent it to the production designer and a few trusted friends from an audience perspective and then a film perspective. So that like, you know, Gordy, who is in sound, could tell me, you know, feedback story-wise and like yeah. visually, but he would probably mostly focus on the sound. And then I go to Chris who tells me that there's actually, because we've slowed it down, we dropped a frame. And then that's really valuable because I mean- at the end of the day, a lot of the heads of departments are being paid, but it's still their work on the line. They yeah. want to be proud of it. And if it's dropping a frame, that reflects poorly on Chris, who's a damn talented cinematographer. Yeah. So, you know, I think it is important that the heads of departments at least like are happy with what they put forward. Yes. But they don't need to like the product, but they need to be proud of their contribution to the product because it's part of their showreel and their yeah. portfolio. So, yeah, I think films have different tastes and everyone's got different tastes and it's never going to be everyone's taste no film is ever yeah um but as long as they're proud of their contribution it's something they can show because they weren't getting paid a ridiculous salary you know it Mm. is important that they're like you know what my work in that looks really good and there was an element of that that happened on sasha's game where we had a schedule issue because some extra didn't rock up and he was a featured extra so we had to get one of the crew and we had to reorganize the schedule and because of that, we couldn't have the one actress's hair the way I really wanted it done. Mm. And Clara, who was our hair and makeup artist, obviously wants to be proud of her work. Mm. So there was a whole conflict of hurry up, we need to get it done. But also guys respect Clara's work. It's her portfolio yeah. on the line too. And she's doing this because her name's attached. So there was this weird compromise of we need to hurry up. But, you know, we also want her to be proud of her work because she is doing this and it's her name attached. Yeah. So I think there is a really tough line of, you know, every department thinks their department is the most important. That's always the case. Mm. But you need to find a compromise of, okay, camera, you only have this amount of time. Yeah. And production design, you only have this amount of time. And I understand you want it to be good, but, like, we cannot offer you more. Yeah, 100%. It's just, yeah, it's it's tough. It's, I I love that as well because it's, it's such a finite, you know, decision as well. Mm. And, and I do agree with you as well because – it's one of those things that I, I want everyone to be proud of, you know, the product that goes out there and, you know, goes goes out into the ether. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there's there, there are going to be some people who aren't proud of it in the end, like five, ten years down the track, or mm. they might be like, eh, it was okay. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you can't control that, what people rethink later. But, um, you know, it's, it is very true because I do agree that even if you're not being paid or, you know, Especially if you're like, you know, cinematographer, editor, sound editor, um, sound operator or sound editor. It's it's very important that you will love the project, um, you know, going forward. Especially with Color Grade as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I always feel like, you know, um, I one uh, amazing DOP that I've worked with before, Emma Payne. I remember I sent her the Color Grade when I was Color Grading um, a short we did. And um, she was the one who re- recommended me the LUT um, that she used a lot of the time. And I just yeah, she was just really happy with it, and she she gave such good feedback on on stuff. And I was like, this is really appreciative because, like, as an editor, it's just really useful information to make sure I'm doing something right and that you're happy with. Mm. That at the end of the day, I don't have to stress too much about. Because mm. um, you know, I, I I always think like that. How you know, how would I feel if I watched someone else? You know, like something mm. I did, 
and then it looked terrible on screen. Oh, it's so hard though because that post-production stuff's difficult because production design's in camera. Like every yeah. most things are in camera, right? So, you know, it's there, it's done. If yeah. you don't like it, you say it there and then. But post-production's hard because you're literally taking the cinematographer's shot and you're changing it, but that's going to reflect on the cinematographer because, yeah. you know, I mean, often people that aren't in film don't even know there's such thing as a color grader. So it will reflect on the cinematographer, mm-hmm. you know, and that is a really tough, you know, balance of what do you want? What do they want? And is it ruining the shot and compromising their vision as well? It's a tough one. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you seem to do really well though with dealing with oh, all, <laughs> all the personalities. <laughs> Because, you know, you're able to – it sounds like you you have a really good solid team as well. Mm, yeah. Is that, has Have they worked with you all, throughout all your films at this point? Or? Not all, but most. So Gordy, who's an incredible sound recordist and sound designer, he's now worked on me with, for three of them. Same as Chris. When I introduce them, there's actually a really funny story of like – because they're both just so damn talented and they're both so stubborn. And they just hit heads and it was funny. But now they get on really well because we work together frequently. Tessa has been on all of my projects. She's Mm. an amazing production designer. So I do try to keep – the way I look at it is kind of like – it's a weird way to go, but you go shopping, right? And you kind of like – you know, on the one film you go shopping and you try a bunch of things and then the next time you go shopping you keep – you. You keep the things that you enjoyed and you want to have again. Yeah. And then you put new things in the basket. And then if something from there is really good, the next time you go shopping again, you keep more things in your basket. I see that with films where I'm like, I want to rotate, obviously, the kind of crew I work with to see who's out there, what's out there, who Mm. do I work best with. But like, you know, on films, I'll work with Tessa and I'm like, I'm going to keep Tessa. I love Mm. her. I'm going to keep her on all of my films. And then I worked with Chris and Gordy. I'm like, they're staying on all of my films. And then... You know, I met Siobhan on, who was um, an incredible costume designer on Sasha's Game. I'm like, I'm working with, you know, it's mm. kind of like eventually you have a cart of just everybody that you loved working with and you would work with again. And then eventually you've got a dream crew and yeah. it's everybody that you just had the best experience with. But, you know, everyone has different chemistries on set. You know, sometimes it doesn't nut down to just talent. It's also about company. Yes. And chemistry of personalities. And I found that everyone that I now work with frequently, I've got a, they are damn talented, but I've got a really good working chemistry with them. Yeah. So that's important too. Yeah. That, yeah. That's that 101. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing to kind of crack. Because, yeah. you, you know, it's good. It's interesting that you say butting heads as well. Like, you know, I... I feel like when you have a good working chemistry and you both kind of know what page everyone's on, Mm. it's very easy to kind of like gel that together and make it, Mm. make that cog to suddenly start moving very quickly and and efficiently, even though, you know, like post and stuff can take like nine months. Yeah, Um, honestly. (laughs) No, it's crazy. But yeah, I I don't know. I think when you've got a really talented crew and you, the foundation of your relationship is built on respect, trust and belief, then, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you you won't really lash at each other, even though on film sets you get stressed and people say things they don't mean and they get stressed and they snap Mm. and whatever it is. But if they really respect you, you just don't have that. And with all those people, I've just never had that. And I'm so grateful that I haven't, Mm. you know, but I think that comes down to compatibility of working. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, fantastic though. Yeah. Oh, so count my blessings. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, I mean, I do want to talk to you, though, a bit about, like, um, your own mental health as well mm. because you did raise it earlier yeah. about, like, are you – would you describe – how would you describe your mental health, like, and, and where it sits? <laughs> Fluctuating, probably. <laughs> I, isn't that everyone? Yeah, I know, um, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, in relation to films, or just in, work? in in both and in life. In life, in life, pretty okay. Yeah, yeah, I think pretty good, pretty optimistic. But I think, I think work. I think I put more pressure on myself than an average person, and. I acknowledge that and I talk about that often because I know I do, but I won't stop. Um, I have goals I want to hit by certain dates and a certain age and therefore I have to just do it. I have to hit it. Um, So I don't know. I think the misogyny on set, that and being undermined and that really messed my mental health and self-confidence. Bouncing back from that took a while. My boyfriend was super supportive throughout that, um, but that was really, really like confronting. Mm. Um, I just didn't ever think that would sort of happen. So yeah. that was really shocking. Um, after that, though, doing girl was great, but also stressful. There was COVID and COVID was fine with me, though. Like I was fine through it. But um, COVID was weird. just like... Yeah, I was fine with COVID. COVID, COVID was fine with me. We had a great budding relationship. <laughs> yeah. No, we did. But um, no, obviously it wasn't preferable for film sets or for anybody else's you know, financial yeah. situation. And I totally empathize with their experience. Um, but I was fine with it. My mental health was actually thriving, to be honest. Oh. I am a very social person and I do try to... And, but I'm also a very career-driven person. And yeah. you can't have everything and have a partner, which is its own commitment. So I think that I've struggled to find time and I was burning myself into the ground. So COVID just allowed me to socially just drop everything. Yeah. And I could just focus on my career and my partner and having the way my sister brings it up and she's like brings up a great point. It's some study in some book where it's, they say you've got four stoves in life and you can't have all four stoves running at the same time Mm. well. And like either it's like career, social life, partnership and Oh, there's one other that I will not remember. But, you know, if you've got just, if you don't have a social life and you don't have a career, but you've got, um, I don't know, your partner, then you and your partner are going to be really good because that's mm. the only thing you're focusing on. But if you have all four on at the same time, they can't all be 100% and mm. you're compromising the quality, which is why some people don't get married in the industry and they just have the career one burning. Mm. And that's why they're so good. And then eventually once that's got momentum, they'll light the partner one, yeah. you know, and then they'll light the, whatever it is, social one. Like, so I think I had way too many on at the same time. So COVID allowed me to drop it and just focus on, you know, what I needed to, and it really helped my mental health. Yeah. And then I think getting out of that was really difficult for me because then I had more jobs, more commitments, a stronger relationship with my partner, and then I had to add a social life again, and I just didn't have time. Mm. And the social pressures of going out and doing this and staying up late, and I just couldn't balance Mm. it so that I struggled. But then also I think in film and, you know, like having other jobs and, you know, you don't have a five-day working week. You have like a... 12 day working day plus six days of working you know Mm. maybe get one day free if you're feeling lucky yeah but it's a labor of love and you do the work you know film isn't really considered work but at the end of the day it's not social so it does fall into the career category so i think it is tough so i think i burnt out really badly um after sasha's game i was like three weeks couldn't walk couldn't move went into work and my boss turned me back and said go home because I just, my wow. energy was gone. I just looked terrible. I was, yeah, mm. I was really drowning in myself. I couldn't eat. Um, and my partner was super helpful through that. But yeah, that was a bad burnout and that yeah. really messed with me. Oh but my um, God. 
Yeah. So look, I think it's fluctuating this industry. Like I feel like it always will. And you deal with different characters and other people's happiness. And, you know, if you're in a director, producer or first AD role, you're making sure everyone is happy. Mm. And, you know, on Sasha's game, there was 85 people. So that was just exhausting the pre-production of that and people forget that you've done pre-production too so you get to production and they've just got all these demands and they forget that there was so much that went before that you just haven't just started you yeah you're like still chugging (laughs) so i think that's kind of yeah that was hard and i really burnt out but um i want to say i've learned my lesson but i don't know (laughs) have i (laughs) i don't know Maybe not. Yeah, probably not. Like, I don't know. I have, like, ambitions and I, like, want to hit them by a certain time. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm better at boundaries. I'm better at saying no. Oh, that's good. That's the that's the <laughs> that's that's the takeaway from the yeah. burnout. Yeah, I know. It was like I can say no now. <laughs> well, it's hard to say no. Oh, right? it's so hard to say no. I used to be really bad with it. I think I think in particular this year has taught me a lot to say no to, mm. and it's mostly not because of COVID. It's mostly because of a, a whole bunch of health issues. But it's just, mm. um, it's really made me go, okay, no, like mm. to a lot of scenarios. And I think um, it's also just like you know, I've only got one family. I've only got one partner and I've got a career. So it's like those are the things that I'm going to really focus on and mm. make sure are stable and, you know, and, and I think also from having such a tumultuous, like I think, you know, not all my creative friends, but I, I think also um, having having a lot of friendship-related uh, drama this year, you know, external to mm. actually what's even going on in my life is so dramatic that I'm like, okay, well then, you know, all step, I, away. step away, kind of recoup, get to like solidify my own life and make sure that's going afloat because um at the end of the day you know as you say it is a labor of love um like and i do eventually want to have a family but i also want to be there for my family and i want to i want to be present um and i don't want to just you know like disappear into the ether and never be seen again Mm -hmm. you know also on a social aspect as well so it's you gotta you gotta balance everything out but um it's a tough juggle oh man do i burn the candle (laughs) i think everyone does though i think it's actually normal and i find a lot of people this time of year have burnt out yeah and i think partially i'm not blaming covid for it but i'm saying because we were stuck stuck for lack of a better word in sydney and we couldn't leave and no one's had a holiday so you haven't had that okay i'm working and now i've got the break and now i'm resetting it feels like people have just been working for three years straight with no break yeah. Whereas a holiday sort of indicates, you know, that's the end and then this is the beginning yeah. and then there's something to look forward to. But I think for a lot of people, when you don't have something to look forward to and you don't have an obvious end and an obvious beginning, it is really exhausting and people don't know when the end is. So it's like running a marathon and not knowing where the end is. Like, of course, you're going to burn out. Like, you know, you don't know how to pace your energy and then you've paced it incorrectly. <laughs> I often pace <laughs> I've, I've heard it so many bad places it's it's like um and and i noticed that the other week as well because it was like the first time i had a panic attack like mm-hmm. in so long and i i was talking to one of my friends as well about it and it was just like yeah just the the, the feeling of you know keeping up with your own schedule as well as your own sort of complex life and it was so much easier in lockdown and because yes. you oh my God. so much easier and now it's like um you know i look at my calendar which is 
riddled with things um, and I just look mm-hmm. and scratch my head and go, oh, dear God. You uh, just need to pull back and just yeah, compromise something. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. And, and uh, But I also do remember like to go and ha- see a friend or go and do date night. You know, you just really kind mm-hmm. of go, this night is specifically, like I cannot book anything on yeah, these agreed. nights. And that is that is the time I set aside for myself and my partner or my life, mm-hmm. you know, and not onto a project which sounds you know, like, oh, God, are you breaking the working world? But it, it's actually really beneficial. No, it's so beneficial. Yeah. And it's so important. And I think in this industry, I, it sounds like you're – is your partner in this industry yes. too? Yes, Okay, well, that does help then. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, but it – I mean, I guess you have different complexities, right? Yes. Like the fact that your head is so buried deep in it constantly that you actually cannot get out of it sometimes. Yeah. Where I – the opposite where I've got a partner not in the industry and sometimes all I do is talk about it and that's exhausting for him. Because that shouldn't that shouldn't determine our whole relationship, my career and my oh, aspirations. God. But for you, you've got the opposite where you're so in the industry that it feels like you're like, how do you separate your industry from your partnership? Oh, and so we it's do a different complexity. We yeah. we do, thank Christ. We have a lot of other interests, but um it's it's mm. also we work in very different fields. Like um so um M works as a children's um uh, coordination programmer as well at the ABC and I work for channel seven and we both have worked on film sets. So we mostly be, um, complain mm-hmm. about like different experiences on <laughs> film sets, which is great. Um, but then we also just have a lot of interest in books and, and like psychology and, you know, and different, um, different aspects of life. So I think it really balances out where we can talk to each other from a very creative standpoint, but mm-hmm. also, um, we do have different goal sets, which then sort of are able to, you know, have a very life, long and also kind of get to the point where it's like let's not talk about work let's talk about like something else because that's really beneficial in a relationship is healthy communication yeah Um, it's tough because it's like it's an obsession oh god yeah like film really is a lifestyle it's not a job or a hobby like it's literally a lifestyle so like that's really tough so good on you guys for setting boundaries that's tough oh yeah it's it's Mm. we we basically did it from the get-go we were like "Mm, Mm. this is this is our lives now so we really if we're going to make this work we need to Mm. kind of set up these walls so that we kind of like do not talk about it at certain times but i've also lived i've lived with people who worked in the industry and i did the same with them it was like just straight up like let's just make sure we're not always talking about work yeah, that's a good boundary. I mean, like, I'm get, trying to get better with it. And, yeah. like, sometimes when someone asks me about work, I'm just like, you know what? Like, I, I just don't want to talk about yeah. it. I'm like, I just feel like I'm so talked out of it. <laughs> um, and sometimes you just, like, don't really want to revisit it. Just kind of want to keep social social, you know? You don't want to mix business. <laughs> business <laughs> with the fun mix, times. Yeah, you don't want to mix, like, fruit with chocolate. Like, I have a big pet peeve about that. I know people say chocolate strawberries are the thing, but I disagree. I feel like... <laughs> You know, keep health with health and, you know, sugar with sugar. Like, that's my sort of motto. Same comes with business, right? (laughs) (laughs) Business and social, keep them different. Oh, my God. I love that. That's the best motto ever. Um, I'm going to use this as a perfect point to wrap us up. But Just thinking about chocolate strawberries now. Um, (laughs) You're getting hungry. Yeah, I am. (laughs) But, um, Lexi, I do have a question for you. Where can people stalk you on the internet? Where can they find you? Um, my Instagram, which is at by.lexi with three E's, L-E-X-E-E. Um, otherwise my website, which is lexigordon.com mm-hmm. or my IMDb page. Mm-hmm. Stalk me there. Stalk, stalk you there. But thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute thank pleasure. You. 
Um, and if you want to go and check out more episodes of the things we do, uh, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. And I'll be speaking to another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.